Okay, today, as Mike mentioned, we're going back to Philippians. And in Philippians, we're going to go over uh, verses 12 to 14. And there's two things I'd like to cover this morning. First is, why is Paul imprisoned? There's a specific reason why Paul's in prison. And secondly, what is accomplished? What is the purpose? What is God doing by taking one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest apostles, and putting him in prison for that length of time? Does not seem like a waste that God would have him in prison. So we're going to wrestle with the fact of why is Paul in prison and what is accomplished by Paul's imprisonment. So as you know, Pastor Hans has been bringing us through chapter one. We're going very meticulously, verse by verse. Pastor Hans has gone through each of these verses and taught us um, what Paul is doing here in this book of Philippians. So in verse one, to the saints, he oversees the deacons. He taught us about sacrifice. He taught us about service. Who are these men and women who are giving their all to serve the Philippians? In verse two, grace to you. And grace, what he talked about was what is the Father's sovereign plan? What has Christ done by dying for us? The grace is from God. And then we saw these things about thank God in remembrance of you. Every prayer of mine is for you. That Paul is always thinking about the Philippians. In verse 6, we took some time to stop and think about the sovereignty of God, that God is so sovereign, he's certain, absolutely certain, that and confident that God will bring his work to you in completion. Every one of you that knows God, your work, his work in you is not finished yet. God's going to bring it to completion. That's by God's sovereignty. And then how I yearn for you, that your love may abound. And you just get this feeling that Paul loves these Philippians. He loves this community. He's pouring into them. You know, my prayers about you. My love abounds for you. Paul is making it very clear. I love this community. I love you guys. So it's interesting. When we verse 12, what Mike helped us read this morning, what it says here is, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served the gospel. There's a shift here. We're talking about you. We're talking about the Philippians. We're talking about what God has done for you. And now Paul says, let me tell you what's happened to me. Let's think about that for a moment. As we open a word of prayer, we're going to begin to discover what has happened to Paul. Father, we, we are thankful this morning for reminding us of the grace and the blood that Christ shed, reminding us of that special community in Philippi where you extended grace, sovereignty, mercy, sent the servant Paul to serve them. May we here at PCC learn from this model, learn about this covenant community that you're building at Philippi, this imprisonment of Paul, and how that still applies to us today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So Pastor Hans went over this last week. I don't know if you caught it, but he did describe to us what happened to Paul during this time. But I'd like to go over it a little bit more. We go all the way back to Acts 21. In Acts 21, you remember here that Paul is falsely accused. Hey, this guy came to our city to cause trouble. This guy, Paul, he's, you know, causing havoc wherever he goes. And these Jews are following Paul, causing Paul trouble. Wherever they're, they're accusing Paul of causing trouble. They're the ones causing all the trouble, but they're accusing Paul of that. And they stirred up the city so much that Paul's very life was in danger. And at one point, his life was so much in danger, Paul said, hey, you know what? I appeal to you because I'm a Roman citizen. You can't treat me this way. And so Paul gets put into... Uh, arrest, and the Romans put him under um, their guard. And it's interesting. And now for the next couple years, 
we see Paul going to all these people. He goes to Agrippa, he goes to Festus, he goes to Felix, and he's going to all these different, they're all like, Paul, what are you, what are you talking about? Tell me about Christ. You might be looking for money. They might be looking for God. They might be just trying to figure out who Paul is, but he spends a long time doing this. And then finally said, we can't solve this. They put him on a ship. Remember that ship, it gets shipwrecked and he ends up in Rome. And now when the time he's writing to the Philippi community, he's been in prison for two years. Think about that. Two years, Paul's been in prison. And again, as I mentioned earlier, probably the greatest apostle we have, the greatest evangelist, here he is rotting away in jail for two years. Is that the way to use the best guy that we have on the planet, you know, for Christ's kingdom? It doesn't seem like it. What is God doing here? So during these two years and all these trials and tribulations and setbacks, you think about what is going through Paul's mind and how discouraged he must be. And how he's thinking, man, I used to be out there talking to you guys, visiting your churches, you know, encouraging you guys, and now he's locked away. And we think that's very difficult for Paul. How would Paul get over this? How would Paul um, face these setbacks and think about what God is doing? So I'm going to change gears here for a moment. And like you think about, when we think about setbacks and sufferings, let's think about how does the world, how does the world face setbacks and sufferings? And you think about, you know, these guys who dig down really deep and they, you know, hit the bottom and they come back out. So I'll give you a few examples of that. Anyways, recognize this young man, number 23, big clue here, plays basketball, 23. I'm sorry, Michael Jordan. Okay, so Jeff knows all the sports figures. So Michael Jordan, this is him in high school as a 10th grader. He is playing in North Carolina and you kind of hear this story, right? Michael Jordan got cut from the varsity team. Well, I did some research on that. That's not entirely true. Michael Jordan was on a JV team in 10th grade and automatically you think this guy's gonna go varsity, you know, win states and all these things. He actually didn't make the varsity team. You think, what? He's the greatest player, not only in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, greatest player in his high school, greatest player in the city, greatest player in North Carolina, probably the greatest player in the whole nation. And he doesn't make the varsity team. Well, the, the coach there had a policy that my varsity players are all the 11th graders and 12th graders. They all get a chance to go up. Everyone has to wait their turn. I don't care how great you are. You're in 10th grade. You don't make the varsity team. And that was very difficult for Michael. He's like, I, I am the greatest player and I'm not on the varsity team. But he overcome that setback, as you know. He goes on North Carolina. And he wins national championship as a freshman. Two years later, he gets drafted by who? Chicago Bulls. That's right. He goes under the Bulls and he becomes probably the greatest player, the GOAT of NBA, right? And he had so many sayings, one of the things, you know, when you encounter these setbacks, you know what, you just plow through it and you make it happen. You, you plow through it. You, you get down and you work harder, which he did. And again, became the, I still consider, you know, no player has ever been as great as Michael Jordan. Now, I just looked up on Google. He is now worth $1.6 billion. This guy, by bouncing a ball, slamming the hoop, he's worth, more. I mean, this is a setbacks and suffering to a success story. You think, man, that is such a great story. I mean, that is wonderful. I mean, and I have nothing against this. I, I think it's wonderful that he worked so hard and he achieved. Nothing wrong with that. Let me give you one other success story. So this man also encountered great setbacks and suffering. Uh, you never heard of this studio, but it's called Laugh-O-Gram Studios. It's on there, but this is Walt Disney's first company that he put together, 1921. 1920, he puts together, completely bankrupt. It goes under, he can't make it swim. He has, he has no hope, you think, I'm very discouraged. But he doesn't give up. He comes back in 1928. 1928 makes this character. You guys know who this is? Steamboat Willie. 
Steamboat Willie later becomes Mickey Mouse, but he comes back with Steamboat Willie and he, grates, he makes a killing. He's doing really good, but he's not satisfied. He goes, you know what? I'm going to do something even greater. I mean, these little cartoons is not big enough. I'm going to make a full-length movie. What's Walt Disney's first full-length movie? It is Snow White. Snow White, 1937. Snow White. He's making, he's making, it's going great, but he runs out of money. He has no more money, and he, he's going to go bankrupt again. But then again, instead of giving up, he goes to the bank. The bank loans him the money, $1.5 million. So you can imagine this, 1937. It's a huge amount of money, and he's able to complete the project. In 1937, Snow White makes $8 million first year out. And Walt Disney is very smart. He goes, this is a really popular movie. I'm going to pull it off. He pulls it off the shelf, brings out again, 19, I'm making these numbers, it was 1947, 1957. He keeps bringing out every couple of years because it's such a great movie. By the time it finally stops showing in theaters, $187 million he makes off this one movie. $187 million. And Walt Disney became a great success. Here's just something about being kicked in the teeth, which I hate to hear about a dentist when he says, you can be kicked in the teeth at the best thing in the world for you. So you can overcome this. Walt Disney at the time of his death, 1966, worth $5 billion. Five billion. This is 1966 and today's money, that's worth $40 billion today. So again, I have nothing against these guys. These guys have worked hard. They've turned their setbacks into success. And that is the way the world thinks. That when you're down in a dumps, you just work harder, get your grit together, and you're going to overcome. Not a bad philosophy. Is that what Paul does? Is that what Paul does? So that's the way the world thinks. Let's take a minute and think about how Paul encounters this. So when we look at Paul's suffering, Paul's imprisonment. What does he do? Well, this is what I found from church history, is that he sued the Roman government, and then he got a pardon from the Roman Empire, because he had enough signatures on the document to beg for his release. And once he got released, he went on TikTok and made a video about JLM. Now JLM stands for Jewish Lives Matter because Jews, Jews are being killed and crucified in the arena and they're being fed to the lions. And he said, stop this, this is not right. We're gonna stand up for these Jewish people who are being oppressed and we're gonna make a movement. And his movement became so strong that he wrote a memoir and he became a billionaire. And that would be the success story that we'd want for Paul. And Hans is going to send me back to seminary because I don't have my church history quite right here. But that is what we would assume would be the success story. And that's what we want. And that's what we look for. You think, you know, that is good because we stand up for our rights. And I'm not saying anything about standing up for rights. I'm not saying anything against making money. Those things are not wrong. But what I'm going to tell you is that's, uh-oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, I'm just saying that those things are not what Paul's, God was. When Paul wrote this letter to Philippi, look what he says here in verse 12. He says, it has served to advance the gospel, God's kingdom. This little mustard seed that's taking over the earth, that is what's advancing. That's what's really important. Not me, but the kingdom. Verse 13, it's been known through the whole imperial guard that I've been prisoned for Christ. Now we read that verse pretty quickly, but Paul is smart, and I think Paul is smart like Christ. When Christ ever shared who God was, who he was, he always got into their life. Like, how many husbands do you have? Are you thirsty? You know, what is it that you're seeking? He always got in their life. And I think Paul, he's chained to these guys. He just, just uh, let me tell you about Christ. He would ask about their families. What kind of hurts do you have in your life? What kind of disappointments? And he would share in a very deep way. He would love them. He would care for them. And it got known throughout the whole guard that this Paul, he cares about you. 
He knows about sin, the deficiencies, depression, the discouragement in your life, and he wants to share something better with you. He's sharing Christ with you. And, and you think about it, you think about Paul's chained to these guards, and he's the one chained up. Paul's free. Paul knows Christ. We just sang about this morning. He knows grace. He knows the freedom that Christ brings. The people who are really prisoned were the guards. They're prisoned by sin. And Paul is sharing Christ with them, saying, you know what? I have something better for you. I have something I can share with you that will bring you out of your state, that will help you with your life, that will give you an eternal perspective that you don't have to worry about these things anymore. So Paul has a very different perspective in verse 13. And in 14, what we're studying today, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Why is Paul in prison? Because others can be bold. Paul is bold because of Christ. I saw what Christ did. I saw how Christ handled his life, and that gives me boldness. Now, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to share Christ right here in the prison. I'm going to share with my guards. I'm going to share with all those who come to visit me. You be bold because you see what, me, what I do. Paul follows Christ. We follow Paul. It's fine. We can learn boldness as we ultimately follow Christ. Okay, so let's take a look at this again. So what I have here is what I'm going to consider the world's values. This is about the things that I want. This is about the things that would help me. This is things that would make sense in the world. And then on the other side, we have what Paul says, that, you know, the gospel is more important. The sharing and being bold, helping you guys set an example for you so you can be bold, that's more important to Paul. And we have to stop here for a moment and think, why does Paul have this perspective? How is Paul able, being chained for two years, have a perspective about thinking for others? Now, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but if you guys look ahead to chapter two, it's very clear. Here's what chapter two says. Let, I think this is 2.6. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What did Christ do? Christ was always thinking about others. Christ was always looking to what's better for you. How will this help those around me? How will these help those people that God brought me in contact with? And Paul is doing that. Paul goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the Christ. cross. Excuse me. Look at Christ's example. Look about what we sang about this morning, about the grace and about the mercy, about the blood that Christ shed. When you get your eyes on Christ, you see what Christ did? Hey, what I'm going through is not that much. This is God who did this for me. He's imprisonment, what I'm going through. Take your eyes off yourself. Think about what Christ did. That is our focus point. That's what we look at. And then finally, so at the name of Christ, every knee should bow in heaven on earth, Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's talking about Christ being my master. That I serve something higher. That there's something greater than what I'm, I'm, I'm all about. I'm serving the Lord. And we're thinking about Paul saying, this is my master. This is the one I serve. And I'm going to tell you right now that we have a choice. And this is from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to devoted one despise the other. As Christians, we're trying to do both. You know, like, I want to have my rights, and it's about me and what I want, and it's all good for me, and I want to serve Christ. I can do both, right? As Christians, I can, and, and Matthew teaches, no, actually, you can't. There's not, as I said before, there's nothing wrong with defending your rights. There's nothing wrong with making money. 
There's nothing wrong with those things. But when that becomes your master, when that becomes what your life is about, when that becomes your goal in life, you can no longer serve Christ. You have to make a choice. You might have to make it today that either Christ is my master or the world is my master. The things that I want and where I'm at and me and mine and my rights and what's owed to me can be your master or it can be God in Christ and what Christ has done for us. So it's, it's, it's a tension point here. And each one of you, I pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart about where it is and where your devotion is. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper. So we, we talked about where Paul's at here. But we look at Paul. How does this actually help us build community? So we see what happened to Paul. And we think, you know what, Gordon, I can't quite relate to that because I've never really been in prison. I've never really been chained to anyone. I really haven't had this experience of imprisonment. Ah, on contraire, on contraire. You guys actually have. For the last 16 months, what have you guys experienced? Every one of you for the last 16 months have been imprisoned. You guys have been chained. You guys have been unable to get out and do what you're supposed to be doing, right? And I thought about this for a while, and I thought, yeah, okay, so for many years, um, Julie and I have been trying to teach our kids to get out of bed. You know, like, you guys get out of bed, set your schedule day, get on with things. And so we're visiting our kids down at their house in Oakland, and we're getting there. It's like 12 o'clock, probably 1 o'clock. Our kids are still in bed. <laughs> like, get out of bed, you guys. What are you doing? Get out. Like, Mom. Dad, we're saving the world. We're staying in bed. <laughs> and I think, okay, all right, okay, so I, I get that. And it's interesting because there's so many things in my garage. I think, you know, if I just had time, I would get my garage clear. But COVID has proven to me it's not time to, because my garage is not fixed, right? So we think all these things about COVID. But, you know, when we think about it, why did God imprison each of us for these 16 months? Why was God doing that to us, just like Paul. And if you look a little bit deeper, there might be a reason why. Okay, I'll tell you about my workplace. So my workplace, um, I was talking to other dentists, and we're talking, and we're talking, these guys in North Hills where I practice with, and Gordon, you going back to work? I'm going back to work. We were forced to go off work. CDC said, you have to close for these, I forget what it was, two or four weeks. So we're all closed. But during the time, we we're talking to each other. And I began to realize what we had to do, put newer air filters in, put new shields on, you know, put this ionic filter on the, on the um, central vac system and things like that, and started going over that with some of my colleagues. And some of my colleagues said, no, I don't want to do that. And I respect them. They're kind of at that age where they wanted to retire, and they said, we're not going back to work. I said, okay, I respect that. And I didn't really anticipate what that would mean for my practice, because we were good friends. Like, sometimes I would watch their patients when they went on vacation. Sometimes I'd watch my patients when I went on vacation. So what happened is some of these other dentists, when they closed, their patients started coming to my practice. So I think it was a good thing. But in actuality, my schedule's full because I haven't been seeing my patients for this long, so I'm seeing all my emergencies. And all these people I don't know saying, I have a toothache, this hurts, I have swelling, I have pain, I need to be seen right now. And it was very difficult because my staff is already a little tentative about seeing patients. We have our masks and our shields and all these things on, but now we're seeing a whole nother group that didn't. So we really had to pray about it. And I told my office staff, you know what? Every day, we're going to try to see as many people that need us, we're going to try to see them. It takes longer. We miss our lunch. We do these things. We're going to stay. We're going to do it. And it's not all profit driven. I mean, we certainly want to be profitable, but we're thinking, what would happen if you had a, and I had to tell my staff this, if you were in pain and you had nowhere else to go and you called our office, what would you want us to say? And I had to confront them with this. How would you want to be treated if you were that patient? 
And so they start thinking about my lunch hour and what we wanted and what's good for us and start thinking, let's think about what's better for other people. Uh, during that time, I picked up a new Christ, uh, employee who turned out to be a Christian and she challenges me on different things. I told her I'm speaking at church and she challenged me one day. She said, Dr. Ott, why don't we have Christian music playing? You have all this jazz music playing. Why don't we have Christian music playing? I thought about that. I said, oh, wow. I never really thought about that. I said, okay. I, I think I told her before, I introduced myself as, hi, I'm Dr. Ott. I'm a Christian. I'll like serve you any way possible. And they know I'm a Christian. So she challenged me and I said, okay. So I looked on Spotify, looked at all these playlists and Spotify has this playlist, Christian instrumental jazz. And they have all these playlists. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. So I put it on, I, I clicked it and I said, this is it. All the songs we just sang here, you know, they're all in there in this jazz form. It's kind of like elevator music, you know, that you would hear, but it's in Christian form. And so I don't know what the impact is gonna make. So we started playing and then strangely enough, my patients picked up on it said, Doctor, I hear a song I heard. Is that how great thou art? I said, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, and they're talking about it, we're talking about it, do you sing that? And so we got an opportunity. That gave me a little more boldness to share different things. I, I mean, I read this when she came. I said, I mean, what do you hear? And Irene said, I recognize these songs. So it, it was working. And another patient came in. Well, one thing I had to do, I had to clear all my shelves of all the magazines. Like what you touch has to be thrown away. You can't touch a magazine, next patient gets. So I cleared all my shelves. There's no magazines on my shelves, all these bare shelves. And one of my patients came in who also was a Christian. He said, Dr. Ott, I see all your shelves are bare. May I put Bibles on your shelf? I said, good, no one's gonna touch those Bibles and we don't get COVID, no trouble, <laughs> put them on there. To my surprise, to my deep, deep surprise, after two weeks, four of those five Bibles were gone. I looked at it, I said, there's one Bible left out here. I was shocked. I went to Amazon, I bought 20 new Bibles and they're going, they're going. I mean, I, these patients, my employee, my employee was teaching me to be bolder, to share Christ in a bolder way. And I was learning about this. Um, if you have a chance, uh, go to the Rise Facebook page. Our song leader today, our worship leader, Matthew Lynn, has his testimony on there. And I was listening to his testimony. I didn't get a chance to hear it in person. I heard it on the uh, recording. And he's here in Pittsburgh because he chose here. Like all of you got stuck here because you, you didn't want to be here. Matthew chose to be here. Matthew said, I'm going to leave California, the Sunshine State, which no one ever leaves. And he came to Pittsburgh and he says, I want to be back here at PCC. I want to not tell his whole story, but he chose deliberately to be here, be part of this leadership team. It's an amazing thing because these things happen to each one of you. So that's happened in my work, but in your homes, you guys have been chained together. You've been imprisoned together. You're put with a specific group. Why? Why? It's not an accident. But Paul says here, I was imprisoned here so that you might be bold. And what happened in my workplace was not an accident. I'm going to consider it what we call a Trojan horse, that no one else could have been at my place in my time to talk to my staff, to talk to my, um, my employees, to talk to my patients like that. God put me in a very specific place, just like Paul is imprisoned right here. So he could write letters to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, to Colossians, to Philemon. He's imprisoned for a very specific purpose and only Paul could have done that. God knew that. I'm gonna give you two years to write these letters. You're here. Only you can minister to these imperial guard. Now don't think that you're not included in this. In God's sovereign plan, each one of you is in a very specific place, a very specific time, so you can minister to who God's chained you to. It happens in your workplace. It happens in your house. It happens right here. This does not happen by accident. And you should be bold about it because God prepared you for that. God said, this is not by accident. This is something I prepared for you to do. You need to be bold, like Paul, to be in the right place at the right time, and only you can do it.
So think about that. Think about what Paul says. I can conclude, I'm going to say one level deeper on this. Paul's setbacks, his sufferings, how does it help us build proper perspective? Paul had an incredible perspective in his imprisonment. And this is getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk about this, not next week, Pastor Hans is going to do combined, but the week after and week after this, we're going to talk a little bit deeper about Paul's perspective and how to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's got this incredible perspective. How does Paul have, I'm going to give it away a little bit here. How does Paul know that his imprisonment is not worthless? One, he knows that God is for him and not against him. Nothing happens to him outside of God's sovereignty. What God is doing here is not against me. He's not hurting me. He's not imprisoning me. He's not taking away my freedoms. He's not taking away my rights. He's doing something for me. Everything that happens to you, if you understand Romans 8, you know this to be true. That this is not the end. This prison block, these people I'm with in, in my workplace, these people with, you know, in this body of Christ, with your family, this is not the end. We're looking for something greater, even bigger that God's doing. I'm going to have a new body. Everything, all these aches and pains, all of us that suffer from these things, some of us are suffering more than others with our sicknesses and illness. I know that. But do not think that this is the end. And then finally, if you really have a correct perspective, you know that the best is yet to come. Because we apply in a place with no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying. We have these new bodies, and we're never going to have to say goodbye to each other again. That time is coming. And I think Paul knew that. These two years imprisonment, it's not wasted. God doesn't waste my time. God doesn't put me here for no, any reason. Specifically, God is doing those things. Okay, so let me summarize what we had today. Why is Paul in prison? Verse 13, I want you to know, your brothers, what's happened to me has to advance the gospel. Also, that my imprisonment is for Christ. I think we went over that. And then the second question we are going to answer today, what is accomplished by Paul's imprisonment and made him more bold to speak the word without fear? And I hope you leave today more bold, more ready to speak God's word without fear. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word today to the person of Paul, who not just wrote about trusting you, he lived it out with his life until the very end of his time on earth, he was bold, he was courageous, he never wasted his time, he never felt sorry about his predicament, but used every moment of every day to advance the gospel, to proclaim who you are. May we learn from his example as he followed Christ, may we too be bold, understand that you're working in our lives no matter where you've put, placed us, and that we're agents of change because of Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, that's Matt to lead us in our hymn of response.